This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I, I, I know I've, I've begged Byron to change the name. We still haven't. We have a nice new logo, though, with artwork by Jack Foster. You need to check out. Um, but it's uh, interview content editor Jimmy Gasparro here for the Cryptid Creator Corner. And I am super excited today. I'm with a writer whose work I've been following for a little while now. Um, you may be familiar with the Scout comic book, uh, Black Cotton, or perhaps uh, his uh, kickstarted comic, The Lunatic, The Lover, and The Poet. Or maybe you've checked out Don't Ever Blink. No. Uh, but I am here with uh, writer Brian Hawkins. Brian, welcome hey. to the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to be here. What an intro. I mean, I blushed. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I've been excited to uh, to talk to you uh, when we set this up um, because I've been following your work for you know a little while now in terms of some of the, the Kickstarter campaigns. Um, and as well as a subscriber to uh, your newsletter, which I do want to talk about a little bit later, character plus obstacle equals story. Cool. Thank, um, you. Thank you. So uh, but right now we're here to talk about your new series with uh, Aftershock called The Vineyard. Issue number one is coming out August 3rd, uh, 2022. Yes. So it's still uh, a week or two away from when we're recording this. But it's I mean, this is. Uh, quite a creative team. Um, listeners to this podcast will certainly uh, recognize some um, names that I've talked about on Twitter before, but artwork by Sammy Cavella, uh, colorist Jason Wordy, and uh, letterer Taylor uh, Esposito. Um, yeah. So, Brian, talk to me about The Vineyard. Oh, The Vineyard. Um, so... The Vineyard is uh, a mythological horror, uh, a mythological Dionysian horror, um, which hinges around hinges around um, the Vines family, um, and the Vines family, uh, their patron god is the god of wine, the Dionysus, and um, and so 
the family's patriarch, Dedekai Vines, has a very special relationship, a very uh, zealot-like belief um, in this god of wine. And um, it, it's kind of set the tone for his family. You know, his, his family, his wife, uh, his oldest daughter and his son um, are, are, are kind of brought into this, brought up into this, uh, this belief system that's, that revolves around the God of wine, Dionysus. And, uh, and so the, on the, the kicker here is that Dionysus requires four sacrifices, four killings per year um, in order for the family to be blessed, um, blessed financially, blessed uh, just holistically. Um, and so up until this very point when the story begins, Didache has been the one to carry out the four sacrifices each year. Um, and he can't this year because within the last year, he was in an accident. And so he's now paralyzed from the waist down. And so those duties have fallen to Maranatha, his wife. Uh, and, um, and, and so the story picks up where she's attempting to make the first sacrifice to go through the first kill um and she's really struggling with it and um and 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 her son steps in and that basically sets sets the tone and sets the ball rolling for what is uh a a horror story uh a horror family story if you will uh i i i kind of liken it to uh the haunting of hill house mixed with a little uh ready or not so yeah that is okay so i mean from the the sounds of it it it, it's interesting to me what immediately struck me set the myth aside for a second because i'm always fascinated by that aspect Mm -hmm. of mythology you know entering into um you know modern day but uh you know, the, this idea of it sounds like and I the family and I, I don't want to, you know, maybe this will be revealed later. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it sounds like the family is aware of uh, what they need to do in terms of the, the sacrifices made, but actually practically carrying it out. Um, I mean, I feel like there's a lot when you look at society at at large there's you know you you take these horrible things that are happening these sacrificial killings but i Mm -hmm. immediately thought of all the things where you know we're okay that certain things are happening in the world as long as we're not the ones to actually have to carry them out absolutely um and and that immediately struck me as something that i could uh you know get into and want to find out about that the family struggle, but also the personal struggle of, yeah. um, you know, having to actually commit these acts and do these things. Absolutely. Uh, you hit the nail on the head and, you know, it, it really is, um, you know, there's a lot of centerpieces and I feel like one of them is that family dynamic and this idea of, of belief and, you know, quote unquote, faith in action. And, um for a lot of the time before the story began the father didikai was able to do this and everyone was able 
to just go about their business. They knew they and they had their feelings about it, mm-hmm. but there were a certain amount of acceptance. Um, but when he's unable to do it and it becomes more hands-on, um, you know, it, that then takes on a whole different role for different people and how they have to now respond and react to this belief um, that really stems from one man, but has been transferred or passed down, um, you know, from wife, uh, wife and mother to daughter and son. Mm-hmm. And it has shaped, you know, who they are. Um, and who they are is an extension of, you know, well, I say what they do is an extension of who they are. And right. that's where we find this, this family. Um, and what we get to see is, you know, what this belief looks like when it's not completely in control um, by the father, but it now is, is, is in the hands of the mother and the son and the daughter and how they feel about it and their perceptions of it. Right. And, you know, I was thinking, I mentioned your newsletter earlier, character plus obstacle equals story. And I always think about that. I, mean, I love the name of it because you could have called it anything, right? If people have <laughs> different creators, they, they have their newsletters are all kinds of different things. Like your last name, you could have called it Hawkin Comics. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But I, I, I love how cleanly it's stated. And whenever I'm thinking about a story, I always come back to that because I think sometimes when I'm thinking about a story, I want to, I want to tell, sometimes I get in character first and I think mm-hmm. of a, a character and then, and then the obstacle comes later. And then other times I'll think of an obstacle and like, what kind of character do I want to put up against it? Right. Um, but I always think of it in those elements now. And, um, you know, yeah. so with this story, how did you come about it? Did you think of this family first and want to set it in a vineyard? Um, or did you think of, oh, I have this idea in terms of, this these sacrifices and we're going to bring Dionysus into it and then what type of family would would that involve how did what was the genesis of that um it really began with the seed the seed of idea um of wine i wanted to tell a story um that revolved around wine and i thought about like the visual aspect and i thought about like the elemental aspect of of like the different nuances and and feelings and atmospheres and mood that like goes with wine and i knew from the onset that that immediately would connect to like horror for me i'm a huge horror fan and so mm-hmm. i'm like okay to tell a story that revolves around wine <laughs> that's that's within the horror genre um and i'm like you have to have the god of wine and so it really went from that i that idea to the god of wine to this the setting and i knew that the setting would have to be in a vineyard and one of the things i love most about horror stories is that you know the the setting and the location is as much of a character as any as any of the actual characters like that setting plays a crucial role in tell the story in itself um where the characters are really interacting with that setting and so the vineyard uh and and, and you'll see like like visually and sammy and Jason does such a great job. You'll see how 
the visual aspect, like the, the real subtle things, you know, they tell a story along with the actual narrative and, and the dialogue. And so for um, this particular story, it, it really just was about um, the idea of wine, then the idea of, you know, the God of wine and then the setting. And then I love, I love relationships. I'm, I come from a, a back, a background of soap operas. Like I love soap operas. So relationships, I feel like are just, just central to great storytelling, good storytelling. And so, so the family dynamic is something that I'm really into. And so I'm like, yeah, there has to be a family that is involved in this because you'll get all the relationship drama um, and the, and you get to see the human condition at its best and at its worst, you know, within a family structure. So you have this family structure that's placed within this, the vineyard setting, and you have this existential otherworldly God of wine, and, you know, and, and you have this whole genetic makeup for a great horror story because of the visual aspects of wine, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of how the story kind of just, uh, the vast expression of it that I'm describing kind of congealed and informed this, the vineyard story. Right. Wow. And I, I mean, it is a great setting. Um, I mean, because despite any time I walk into, you know, a, a liquor store and see mm -hmm. how many bottles of wine and maybe their newer wineries, but still there's, there's something in that like collective conscience of a winery is old mm -hmm. and like a family who runs a winery, they've been around for a while. They have secrets. Yeah. They, you know, so I think all of it yeah. lends itself to that. And speaking of visuals, I mean, you probably couldn't have had a better team than Sammy Cavella and Jason Wordy. I mean, uh, I've been a big fan of both of their work. Uh, Sammy in particular, he did Everfrost with Ryan mm -hmm. K. Lindsay and um, Undone by Blood with Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson. Yeah. And um, I mean, Jason Wordy has done so many excellent things as a, a colorist. Resonant with uh, D.B. Andre, and then the second arc with Skylar Patridge was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can't say enough good things about Taylor Esposito as a letterer. But Absolutely. talk to me how how, you know, what God are you sacrificing stuff to? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it's Dionysus. I mean, obviously, um, <laughs> I'm I'm in good favor. <laughs> now, um, who did I have to kill? No, um, all jokes. It, it it was a huge a huge blessing, <laughs> no pun intended. Mm -hmm. But like, um, when I was talking to aftershock and I, I sent the pitch in, and you know, and 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 they went for the pitch and we began discussing uh, and, you know, I had outline in and we were talking about artists and, um, you know, wishless, right? And sure. Sammy's name came out immediately. I had just finished um, reading or something of his as well. Uh, I read, you know, Undone My Blood volume two. Uh, and I was like, man, like, I love how he, I love his art. I love how he depicts characters, like the setting. I'm just like, mm -hmm. I, I could see 
from doing the vineyard. So immediately he was like number one on my wish list. I didn't even say any other artist. And uh, Mike Marshall, like, let me call him up. Yeah, that's a great idea. Like, <laughs> let's see if he's available. And so, you know, uh, we were still talking about the story. And uh, and he emailed Sammy. And like before we were done talking, um, like Sammy was on board. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Uh, and a couple of weeks later, Jason already was added on, you know, because him mm -hmm. and Sammy, you know, they've done a lot of work together, you know. So um, he was on board and then, then Taylor was on board. And I'm just like, Okay, <laughs> I, I'll run with this. This is fine. <laughs> uh, so I'm I'm completely honored to uh, have collaborated with them and to be a, on a, on a team with them um, mm -hmm. to to bring this to life. Um, and it's by nothing that I unnecessarily did. You know, it, it was more so just uh, I mentioned Sammy, and after shot got the ball rolling, and it was it, it just all fell in place. So. Well, so that's fantastic. All blessings, all praises to Diane. <laughs> right. Um, you know, so I mean, in, in terms of you know, you putting this together, uh, in terms of your writing process, mm -hmm. um, I mean, do you uh script things like fairly tightly, or when you feel when you realize you have you've worked you work with several different artists, when you work with an artist like you know, um, Sammy Cavella, how, as we've said, I mean, his storytelling visually oh, is so good. His panel layouts yes. are, it's, especially in terms of the pacing, Undone by Blood, Volume 2 in particular, there are so many wonderful moments where he will break down panels. Um, and it really, I think, just, just elevates and takes the story to, you know, another level. So knowing that, did you shift how you do things at all in terms of your writing? Um, I didn't, believe it or not. Um, what's, what's interesting is I, I like to think and I like to think I try to write with the artist in mind to where I'm not necessarily, what it's, it's narrative and it's ideas presented. Um, and it allows room for the artist to to be creative and to use their art to tell the story in addition to what I've written. Um, so I feel like, like you know, writing the script for Sammy to see, you know, like I remember there's sometimes where, you know, I would make a note and, you know, I would say, hey, hey, Sammy, I'm thinking this, you know, I, I I, I would have written the panel description and the panel narrative, but then I make a note about, you know, something and I'm, you know, and I would be talking to him in, in suggestive or saying, you know, if, if you have like another way to go with this, et cetera, et cetera, you know, uh, and I, I try to make the scripts where they're, they are narrative, but at the same time, they can be directive, but they can be, guidance and they can be suggestive uh which hopefully leaves enough room for my collaborators to you know to hone in on their storytelling and for them to bring you know the, the story to life in that in that magical real visualistic way and sammy by all means you know it's just i mean he's on such i mean it's he's on such a high level 
of like of of of, te- of art telling story. I mean, he does it yeah. so well. I actually, when I got the first um, first layouts back, um, I actually went through the layouts with no script in front of me at all. Um, they were so beautiful. The layouts were so beautiful, and I just like went through the story and let the art completely tell the story. And I could like almost remember what I wrote while also seeing how he advanced it and how he complimented it and how he grew it and birthed it. And I'm just like, I I just went and I actually sent the email to Mike Mike and Sammy. And I was like, I literally went through these layouts with no script and I just let the art speak the whole story to me. And this was just amazing. And you know, and that's just that's just the level of a creator he is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what's the, uh, is there a certain like number of uh, issues planned for the vineyard as of right yeah. now? Yes. Yeah. So volume one is, is four issues. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, four issues and, you know, it's, it's a, a story that ends um, not to say it couldn't go on, but it, it, it there's, uh, there's a resolution to it. Okay. So, yeah. All right. And, uh, uh, so this is your first time working with Aftershock, right? First time. Yes. Yeah. And so, um, I- I'm a big fan of, of Aftershock. I yeah. love a lot of the, the, the books that they're putting out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, were you a, a fan of what they were doing beforehand and what do you think made Aftershock the right company to pitch this to? Absolutely. Um, like I've been, <laughs> I've been eyeing them for years, uh, <laughs> and been reading their stuff, you know. And uh, man, um, and so, like, I was a fan of Undone, My Blood Volume One, and you know, I was reading Artemis, and you know, the list goes on. And so, um, the, <laughs> it was interesting because uh, Ryan Carroll reached out to me through. DMs on Twitter, um, like it was just for me. It was random, but you know, um, and he mentioned that you know they had read Black Cotton and Devil's Dominion from from Black Box, and um, he wanted to see if I would be interested in having a conversation um, about m- maybe doing some stuff with them. I'm just like, I mean, in my mind, I'm like. Hell yeah! I'm like, yeah, this is <laughs> of course I would be, uh, but I I, I typed it up, you know, in a very formal way. But basically, hell yeah, right. Uh, and from there, you know, we had a meeting, and uh, they're so great. I mean, other shock, uh, they're. I mean, when I say they're great, they're really great. They're just great to talk to, great to, uh, mm-hmm. um, to converse with and talk story with and 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 work with. Um, and you know, I they gave me the window to to pitch, and so the whole pitching process began. And right. you know, the vineyard wasn't the first thing. The first thing I pitched, you know, I I, I pitched several things, and you know, and those did not get greenlit. But what I loved about it was the feedback, and I didn't take anything as those although those stories were not accepted quote unquote rejected um as a writer as a creator you know um i really took it as okay you know let's 
let me examine this, let me learn from it, let me look at who they are as a company and what is it that I'm as a creator that I'm going to bring to the table. You know, I had to find the, the right the right story for the right value of the partnership. Um, because each creator, because they're a creator-owned publishing company, you know, they're looking to partner with creators, in, in my opinion, and they're looking to partner with creators um, to tell specific stories that comes from that creator's voice while at the same time connecting to what their voice as a, as a publishing house is. And so I really took the non-acceptances as a way of fine-tuning how I pitch and understanding myself as a creator and who they are as a publishing company. And so right. eventually I had the vineyard in mind the whole time, <laughs> but I wasn't, but I knew that I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready to, to write it yet. I knew, I mean, so I come from a, a background of education and teaching. So I taught for 17 right. years. And so I knew that I that the vineyard was something that I that I needed time to kind of mature with and to grow from. And I knew that okay, I had some initial ideas. Let me send these ideas, and I kind of use those ideas as a way. Although I wanted them to be green, <laughs> um, yeah. I use those ideas to kind of like hone the craft and also to mature me um, to be able to write the vineyard pitch the way that it needed to be written for Aftershock. Okay. Understanding better who Aftershock was and understanding better who I was as a creator and writer attempting to partner with Aftershock. I hope right. that makes sense. No, it does. No, it totally okay. makes sense. I mean, uh, because that's, you know, it, you see in this industry, that's part of it, right? Like mm -hmm. sometimes somebody could get a non-acceptance or rejection after rejection after rejection it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they have bad ideas maybe they're not right for whatever you know the company is right no i i think it makes sense um i mean did you always have that view when you started out like i'm gonna write because this is tough you very few people have a lot of success or really any success right off the bat did mm -hmm. it take you a while to get to the point to realize hey i just got to keep working at this and I can't take everything so personally, like my ideas are crap and I'm going to ball them all up and throw them in the trash. Like, did it take you a while to get there or from right off the bat where you like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I have to know that I'm persistence is key. Um, it definitely didn't happen right off the bat. Like, I think so with writing in particular, well, writing overall, but specifically and particularly with comic book writing. You know, mm -hmm. I definitely made a decision early on where I'm going to stick with this. I'm I'm not going to give up. I'm going to just. Um, I've read early on like it it like <laughs> it takes like seven to ten years to get like into the industry. I read that like like in 2012 um, when I was first starting off, and I just made the commitment to make so many mistakes to to just like keep going at it keep going at it keep going at it and but that doesn't mean that i had the right mindset like that mindset of re, like non-acceptance equals growth um i definitely threw 
the beginning to like a median somewhere. You know, I, I grew to understand, um, I guess you could say I lessened my ego. Uh, like, like the process of aspiring to be a writer or be a creative can be a humbling one. And I, and I think that my ego, I learned how to lessen my ego and I learned, you know, um, growth mindset instead of like, what, that idea is the best, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, <laughs> it's not, not necessarily that the idea is bad. The idea just might not be workable, just not, might not match whoever you want it to go to. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I just learned that lesson and, and it really is about, for me, it, it's about self-knowledge. It's about knowing myself. And I've, I've been a, I would say a practitioner of self-knowledge and in, in trying to know who I am, you know, for the better part of at least 10 years now. And it's always a process. And that process of knowing myself has affected, you know, how I go about my quote unquote writing career. Uh, you know, it's it's all kind of intertwined and I it's just lessening the lessening of the ego and um, allowing the process to be what it is and looking at your trajectories and slowing down a little bit, taking a step back, observing, um, and not trying to, you know, it, it, it's all about management. And that came with a lot of learning from failure. What is, um, I mean, in, in kind of keeping with that, what has been the, the biggest, I guess, differences to you or, you know, uh, learning experiences, you know, uh, that you would pass down to somebody else as, as an educator when you're approaching like a Kickstarter project versus a creator owned. So I, I am still trying to figure Kickstarter out and I haven't given up on <laughs> Kickstarter because I'm just, I'm, I'm just that kind of, you know, not to be cliche, cliche or whatever, but I'm just that kind of person where I don't like to necessarily quit things. Mm -hmm. um and when it comes to creating and writing i'm really like like i don't quit things so i'm still trying to figure out kickstarter but um the the small success or the success that i have had on kickstarter um you know it's it's been about approach management and consistency the difference between, and I think this is your question, correct me if I'm wrong, between um, independently launching something through like self-publishing with Kickstarter and creator-owned with an indie publisher um, is, it really is about, I guess, control. Um, and I really haven't thinking about this a lot lately, um, where like to pitch to the company, even though it's creator owned, there's still this path of of approval to a certain extent, to where you know you're you're playing to a different market, or you're creating to a different market, right? And right. that market begins with that company and what that company is looking for. And so while so you have to figure out your is this idea marketable for this avenue towards this company that uh, um, 
you know, is it profitable? Is, is there value in it for me and for them? And you kind of have to, in my opinion, you should gear your creator on going to an independent company in that sense. Whereas, you know, like, will this work for image, quote unquote? Or right. is it me saying, I like this idea and I would love for it to be on image? That's the difference between a, in my opinion, that's the difference between just having a creative mindset versus a creative business mindset. And I think, you know, picking which story works for what company or where you wanted to go is very important. There are some stories that I have in mind that I just want to do uh, self-publishing. I just want to do under my own imprint because I just want this level of control. And I know that this isn't necessarily for someone else. This is for me. So now I have to figure out how to grow that audience, you know, that will follow, you know, myself, my self-published stuff in addition to, okay, well, there's a, a, a kind of a built-in audience for Aftershock here. And, you know, and then I can maybe take some people who are familiar with me over, over here in self-publishing. Maybe they'll also follow me over to Aftershock. So it's this whole, I'll tell you who has done it very well. And I've been watching for a while. James Tinian, and maybe I'm not pronouncing last name. I've never heard his name actually spoken. I've always just read it. <laughs> Yeah, so. um, it's the same way for me with like people I interview. It's okay. like your yours was easy. I'm like, oh, Brian Hawkins, I got that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make it easy, right? So James Tingman has done a very, very great job at yeah. um at kind of balancing the scales where he's writing Batman, but he's writing for Boom, you know, his own creator own. He's doing creator own with Department of Truth and and, 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 you know, he balanced it out. And I even read an article about how he wanted to play with the idea of, of kind of getting that badge of writing Batman and, you know, and writing for DC to see how it would, you know, inform or influence his career own stuff. And I think, right. you know, he did that very well to where, you know, he's able to, he was able to just say, I'm just going to create our own stuff now. Um, so I kind of work in that mindset of like trying to, trying to balance the scales. Right. Um, and, and, and for me, that also includes self-publishing and, 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 and kickstarting in addition to working with different publishers, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I, I, just to, to tie into what you had just said, I read something similar um, about the comic book industry as a whole. And the, the point of this article was that it used to be that you'd start off doing your own books and create your own books in order to get to the big two. Right. And there, and that still happens. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, the point of the article, and I can't remember who wrote it, but uh, was that there also seems to be a shift where it then swings the other way. Then once mm -hmm. you get on the big two book, that now you're going to creator owned or Substack now and yeah. you're building your newsletter audience and you're trying to get those big two fans to follow you to creator owned because that's yeah. where there seems to be more freedom and then you know hopefully more money. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hopefully. Right. 
we all hope. Dionysus, where are you? Where are you, Dionysus? <laughs> um, you know, but with that in mind, in terms of taking, you know, people that follow you and know you from creator own, like those readers and follow your newsletter and then, you know, to follow you to Aftershock to pick up the vineyard. And then maybe some of those writers you pick up who already have that Aftershock follow, you know, from the Aftershock following to follow you to right. some more creator owned stuff. And I'm, I'm always interested whether or not there's a through line, you know, for writers and with their different work. You you said this earlier that you're very interested in in character, family, uh, mm -hmm. soap opera, uh, yeah. and drama. But do you think there is another like through line your work to your work, whether or not it's something you've touched that was you know you were hired freelance, like Devil's Dominion or whether or not it's Black Cotton or the lunatic, the lover and the poet, and now the vineyard. Like, do you think there's something that you see that you're working on that is like a Brian Hawkins story? Something other than what I'm working on now is that, is there a Brian Hawkins story? Yeah. I mean, if you look at all your things, can you, right. can you see something that, yeah, this is, this is why I like telling these types of stories. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it's at the end of the day, I'm a Shakespeare. I, I, I'm a Shakespeare guy. I, you know, one of my favorite, if not my favorite class in undergrad was Professor Bill Griffin, Bill Griffin um, Shakespeare class. And I, I enjoyed Shakespeare in high school, you know, in 10th grade. It's okay. probably weird of me to say that, but I did. I did. Now, I, hey, look, not to cut you <laughs> off, but I just, I, I want to commiserate. I'm right there with you. I, uh, I, 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 I went to St. Joe's in Philly and I was in the theater there all four years. I was the, and, and one of the things we had to do was a, a monologue and I did one of Iago's monologue for oh, Othello wow. and I still know it. And oh, uh, nice. if I, if I, <laughs> that's so cool. I, it, not, not really, because if I get drunk enough, I'll just stand on a chair and do it at a party. So. I have to see. Oh, I have to see that. Yeah, give me like a couple beers in. I'll be up on a chair. What's he then that says I play the villain? Oh, <laughs> so, hey, Universal Villain, I hope we meet up in real life because I'm going to call you on that. I'm going to have bourbon and beers ready. All right. Um, but go ahead. I, you, 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 I cut you off. You said you no, like no. Shakespeare in, uh, in high school. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I love that. Yes, like, I'm a Shakespeare guy. So, and I always just felt that that you know what Shakespeare was so great at doing, and maybe the best ever, is hitting on the human condition, and he told it through so many different vehicles. Um, you know, we can call them genres, we can call them whatever, but he used so many different vehicles to hit on the human condition, and, and I feel that. Uh, for me, like as a, as an English teacher, you know, I taught kind of through the human condition. Uh, that was my centerpiece. It was it, it was integral to understanding literature. Um, and for my writing, it's the human condition. And um, and you know, whether I'm in in fantasy or horror or or something dramatic, you know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm still focusing on the human condition and the experience um that comes through it and how we're able to see ourselves um as you know real people see ourselves through stories and the only way we do that is through the human condition so the vineyard uh 
as an example, is a reflection of that. You know, it's it's it's, it's a portion of us. I mean, it's it's a portion of that reflection of the human condition where I'm examining society, I'm examining belief, I'm examining like, you know, the the family dynamics, the pain, the suffering, the angst, um, the obedience that goes along with like being a part of a family and yeah. those things that are passed down to you. So I would say that through line for me is definitely the human condition. Well, that's a, I, I didn't, I didn't know what type of answer I expected, but that was a damn good one. <laughs> <laughs> cool, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. So, you know, bringing it back to the, the vineyard, you know, you know, which you did and, um, when you pitch something like this mm -hmm. and I mean, do you, do you already have most of those issues, you know, plotted out in your head or outlined or like when you, do you give yourself some room once the pitch is accepted to say, Oh, I just thought of this or uh, Sammy just came to me with this idea and uh, we need to pivot. Do you have that room to do that with something like this? So for this, the process was, um, the process began with the pitch, which was basically a log line. Um, and I gave a summary of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, when, and through that, it was accepted in, in Greenland. Um, we, you know, we had a conversation about it after the initial acceptance of that the like written pitch and then the next steps was the outline okay. um, and, and outline was where i really got a chance to so to answer a portion of your question um it would before it was greenlit it was just a like a summary of the story mm -hmm. log line and summary um and outlook of like like you know how many issues it would be and you know what are the key messages within the story um from there once it was greenlit it was i was then tasked with outlining it and when i began to outline it you know you didn't get into more of the specifics and the way i outline is you know i go um uh, like page one through three here's what's happening page uh four through six like i'm, I'm outlining the structure and the feel of the story while also trying to tell the story. And so I'm thinking about turn pages and I'm thinking about what's happening. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about it in the structure of a comic book then. And from yeah. the, and, fr and so I outlined all four issues and within those, that outline and those four issues, some things in the summary evolved. Um, then the outline went to them and I get notes and feedback and then from the notes and feedback, new ideas are birthed as well that, you know, that doesn't change the story, but, yeah. it, but, you know, certain, it, it affects the story, you know, certain influences and it helps the story to grow. So then I, I think I went through three drafts of an outline mm -hmm. um, and the structure in the whole of the story remained the same. It was just, you know, it, it's an interesting thing how stories work, how they're, they're in your head, they're in your mind. And when you begin to put them on paper or on, 
on screen because <laughs> uh, yeah. everything is technology, right? Um, right? It begins to take shape, which then kind of, it really reminds me of, of of Shakespeare, which is actually where the Lunatic and Lemon Report comes from, like airy nothings begin to, you know, shape and take form. And so, mm-hmm. you know, these ideas begin to take shape and take form, and then you get to see it clearly for yourself because it's in your head and you think you have it, but you don't get to know it intimately until you begin to like bring it out of yourself and looking at it and then once you do that it begins to grow and grow and grow and you begin to see like oh i gotta connect that dot i gotta do this i gotta do that and it's very much like you know like when like how in the marvel movies iron man is able to like he's working on something he throw it up like this and start doing like that and you start doing right. all these things it's it's kind of like that where you can now see it better and you can kind of bring it into existence not only for yourself better but potentially for the readers as well and so mm-hmm. from that third draft of the outline um i'm then I, i'm i was then able to go into the script and um and but at that time speaking sp- specifically to the vineyard i already knew that sammy was going to be the artist so mm-hmm. and so i had you know with having already read his work and I had an idea in my mind of like, okay, how these people could look. Um, and, and so I was able to give like suggestive notes, et cetera, et cetera, speaking to Sammy while scripting as well. Um, and I think it was after the first, was it, it was either after the last outline or right when I was working on the first script, I got the first, uh, the first concept art. And it's so amazing because you have these, like you have this vague kind of foggy visions of the characters. Mm-hmm. But the minute that you get that, the first concepts of the character, now when you write, you can actually see those characters now. And so while I was in issue one, I was able to like see those first first concepts. So it was it was cool, but that was the process from right. summary, from pitch, logline, summary, outlook to outline, outline draft two, outline draft three, then script. It's quite a process to to get. I don't. I. <laughs> I mean, and I'm always amazed when I talk to you know talk to creators and kind of get that real intimate breakdown because you know I still think there are comic book fans, casual readers who you know, still don't get how long it takes to to get to a finished and completed, you yeah. know, comic book. Um, yeah. What you something you said now just reminded me because I was going through some things in preparation for this and rereading the Lunatic, the Lover, and the Poet, mm-hmm. and I think I think it was that first issue or act. Uh, you at the end of it, you had. Um, included uh information because it originally was like a screenplay and how it like changed over time and i i love that i love getting into those ideas and seeing like oh yeah this was this was going to be you know a b c and d and now and it changed and then this happened and i sat with it for a couple of months and then it was this and to see like how those things grow and and develop i mean it really you realize that more so than anything else, like stories are alive, you know, Absolutely. and, and, um, I love, I love seeing that life, 
You know, I love seeing yeah. it grow and change. And I like to see what threads a writer or an artist pulled on and to get to the, you know, the finished product. Um, yeah. You know, I, one thing I did want to ask you about in, mm-hmm. in terms of your scout, uh, the, the scout series, Black Cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you were writing that, it, I mean, did you, ha- there was, there's been so many incidences since that came out and even before it in terms of police violence, in terms of racial killings. Yeah. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement, George Floyd was mm-hmm. after that. Uh, I mean, yeah. w- was there, when you're writing it and putting something like that together, did it, at a certain point, did it get like hard to do to, to finish because of what was going on like in the outside world? Black Cotton is by far the hardest thing that I've, that I've ever written. It's the most challenging and the hardest thing a hundred percent and you know I'm, I'm i'm not even gonna say it's because of necessarily it's not all because of what was going on but there is a portion of it because there's a there's an although it's alternative reality there's this huge reality component to black hot mm-hmm. you know yeah said an alternate reality but it parallels this reality to such a significant degree that it's, it's, it's very real. Um, and myself being a black man writing uh, from the perspective, I'm writing from the perspective of a black man, but the character is black, but he's not black actually. He's actually what we understand in America to be the 1% white man. But sure. visually he's a black man <laughs> yeah. and not, but not only visually is he a black man, but he's what a black man would be if there had never been any slavery at all in in this world. So there's so many things that was happening with Black Cotton where Patrick and I had to step back um, like and not inject or even i should say project our own ideas our own feelings into it it really was i don't want to say therapeutic because that's not the right word it's just the word that first came to my mind just now but meditative i don't know where you're holding up this mirror and you're looking at yourself while looking at while, while trying to see and understand, you know, everything around you as well. And there's a, and I'm gonna misquote it, but there's a quote about self-knowledge and how really knowing yourself leads you to accepting and knowing others. And that's kind of what Black Cotton is about where Hopefully, you like no reader hears my voice or hears Patrick's voice preaching a certain thing to them. But instead, it's a journey. It's a journey where you hear multiple ideas and voices 
and you as a reader get to discover what your own voice is. And to and if that does come across for me as a writer, that was the biggest challenge and the hardest part is to really take out my implicit bias and who I am as a black man and try to 100% as close as to 100% be just a human being and to see as a black man would see, but see as a white man would see or see as um, uh, uh, anyone would see, uh, like not gender-based or race-based or nationality-based, but just as a human being mm -hmm. and let that story play out in that way. Um, it, and so that's why it, it, it was so, for me, so challenging um, but also one of the hardest things that I've I've written because every issue of Black Cotton comes with that. That, for lack of a better word, that burden of making sure that this is being presented as purely and as cleanly and as openly as possible without my implicit bias or Patrick's. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I got off on a tangent there a little bit, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it did fine. And yeah, I mean, I encourage everyone who's listening who hasn't yet to go and pick up Black Cotton and read it and then come back and listen to what Brian said again. Um, it is, uh, I mean, it. I, I think it's one of the, the better, I mean, I like a lot of what Scout does. I mean, it's, it's, one of the better comics they've they've put out it's a i think it's a powerful story i think um, you and patrick uh did an excellent job with it it was one that um thank you yeah i i i think it's i think it's an excellent comic um so and i was curious to ask you about it because i you know i, I um would have to uh, imagine that parts of it were extraordinarily you know difficult to write and it's something I, I mean i said have to imagine i don't really you know no i'm, I'm a as a as a you know white guy a 43 year old white guy sitting here there's certain things that i don't think i i think i can try but i don't think i'm ever really going to understand and uh you I know it, so i totally get that and it was um I, and, and you know i mean i feel like like what to be honest with you one of the 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 hardest things to write was um was actually an issue four and it wasn't even with zion or like a black character it was actually with um elizabeth nightingale and what she was going through with with her boyfriend and with her family and just i mean it in here and so here so here i go right black man but i'm putting my myself in place of this alternate reality minority white woman and how she would feel being a victim of a gun shooting that you know she was just walking but she lived through and um and she's having to do now when i say minority white woman there's this 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 hybrid thing happening because she is minority white woman but i'm also thinking of like what what a in our world what a minority black woman 
we're experienced. Right. But she's a white woman. And so there's two things happening at once. And just going through the, that dialogue and writing those scenes with her boyfriend and how her boyfriend treated her and how the media was going after her and how the boyfriend then attacked her. And then when she got home, how her parents felt about her and to hear, you know, and to for her to be dealing with like the the whole college aspect of it and how she might not be able to go out to school. You know, those scenes and writing those scenes, you know, was very hard and very emotional because, you know, to imagine yourself in in that place, in those shoes, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's the power of storytelling, you know, and while it's hard and challenging, you know, it's it, it was also rewarding, I should add, because, you know, you I got to go to some emotional places that if I did not write this story, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone. And it's me seeing life through what I believe would be different sets of eyes. Because I can't say this is how it would be, but right. I'm imagining as best as I can through the human condition here's what it would feel like mm-hmm. so yeah 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 no i i <laughs> i appreciate it i appreciate your uh your honesty and uh, in terms of talking about it um yeah. i feel like following that up i should have like a more profound question to ask <laughs> next but um I, I, I keep talking to you all night, but I, I know I'm sure you uh it's cool. Uh, yeah, it's a great conversation. Gotta go. Um no, so I was just to wrap up, I wanted to just talk to you about do you still have time to read um you know, comics for for fun and is there anything you're you're reading and into right now? I do. I I'm making a point now my piles, I, I I've actually just just lowered my pile. I'm down to, well, so here's what I'm trying to catch up on now. I have a pile over here. And this pile right here, it was like up to here. Uh, like All I'm right. Reading, um, Once in Future, I'm reading, um, shoot, uh, DOT. I'm reading Philadelphia. Um, Nita Halls just ended. Um I'm reading Deadly Class. I love Deadly Class. I've always okay. been with that. Um, oh man, so so many others. Um, I to be honest with you, I'm I, I buy more indie stuff than I do DC and Marvel. Um, I've I've supported Milestone in um, in, in 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 book form. I do a lot of stuff with Marvel in in, in DC on apps, uh, but I, I try to buy indie like in store um mm-hmm. and so I've, I've lowered it down to and i'm kind of test running these i haven't always been a huge spawn fan but like i'm reading like king spawn i'm reading gunslinger i'm reading scorch noctera um i've gotten it down to uh i have four issues of noctera to read that i'm trying to catch up on <laughs> um yeah, it's, it's it's hard to catch up catch- catch up all the time the yeah yeah i i, I love oh, farmhand farm, i love farmhand yeah I, uh, I, re- I i only read volume one but i loved farmhand oh uh, yeah uh, that was really good i just picked up um volume three of philadelphia 
Okay. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Va- Va- Philadelphia is great. And, I, of it course, is. like being in, you know, going to school in Philly, and I worked in Philly for a while, and I'm, I'm okay. in Wilmington, Delaware now. Anything with Philly in it, I'm always like, all right. And, yeah. I mean, Ronnie Barnes and Jason Sean Alexander just kill it every issue. They do. They do. It's never a disappointment. <laughs> never a disappointment at all. No. No, it's so never. good. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's great. And I got a bunch of trade paperbacks. And I I try to read two comics in the morning <laughs> each day. There you go. Um, I, I try to live off of routines and rituals. <laughs> venue, mm-hmm. Rituals. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, for the most part, I do get it done, but sometimes it just pile up, and and I have to just find time between that and writing and family and et cetera, et cetera. But right. I am, yeah, I'm, I I love comic books, so I, I'm a writer and a reader for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, not Brian, to mention the, the Kickstarter books. I'm sorry, the Kickstarter books. I have a whole pile of Kickstarter books uh, I have to read too. Yeah, I. I, I back a lot of stuff um, digitally. Yeah. Uh, only only so I'm trying to make it so my wife doesn't know exactly how many things I back. I totally um, get it. I I'll do that just... too. I do that too. <laughs> uh, thank God she doesn't go with me to like, well, there haven't really been conventions, but I went to like Baltimore Comic Con and uh, mm-hmm. I like I don't want her to see, you know, all the stuff that I, that I back. Uh, so I'm just waiting one day for like, my brother to let it slip that I'm a Kickstarter super backer and that'll be the end of it. And she'll be filing Dude, papers. What? <laughs> what does that, that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> but yeah, I back a lot of, I didn't even discover Kickstarter until the pandemic. And oh, wow. I, yeah. I didn't really, wasn't, wasn't really aware of the, uh-huh. the, the scene. You know, I bought stuff at my local shop and followed yeah. people on Twitter, but then, yeah, during the pandemic, I kind of discovered Kickstarter, and it's uh, so many, so many great creators, mm-hmm. writers, and artists. Um, yeah, there's been just some amazing books that I've absolutely loved that I found just through through Kickstarter. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. It's yeah, it's a thing for sure. It's a thing, and it, and it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be underestimated. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate avenue for creator-owned comics that is free from um, any strings of company policy or, or or pressure. You know, it's it's a chance. I liken it to what Terry Moore has always done with like his creations, like Strangers in Paradise. Like, you know, yeah. his thing. And that's one of the things that Kickstarter offers is this ability to tell your own story through your own means. And you get to connect with uh comic book enthusiasts like yourself and, and reach them directly. Um, so, you know, I mean, I will always be a, uh, a advocate or supporter and, and someone who will always want to tell story through those means because of the intimacy of it. And I think it's great. Yeah. I, I've discovered a lot of things that I've, I mean, thoroughly, you know, that I've thoroughly enjoyed and then I've been happy to support and, you know, writers that I, and artists that I now, you know, will follow on Twitter and see what else yeah. they're doing. And, you know, um, it's been great. Uh, but uh, Brian, I, I, I don't want to keep you. I really appreciate you talking with me. I hope I everybody you. goes out 
and gets the vineyard on uh, August 3rd at your local comic book shop or uh, digitally, if that's how you get comics, I'm sure it'll be available. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it will be. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So for comic book Yeti's cryptic creator corner, this is Jimmy Gasparro. And um, I just want to thank Brian Hawkins very much for talking with me today. Uh, have a, a good night and I will uh, see everyone next time. See you, Brian. All right, man. Thank you for having me. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.